0: Welcome back. This week, I talk with Ryan Phillips. Ryan is a former professional hockey player. He is a former international drug smuggler, and he is now a mental health advocate, and he's been inspiring people all over the world. Quick note, if you haven't already, please give us a five-star rating on your listening platform. If you are listening on Apple, you can give us a written review, so that would be awesome, too. So Ryan grew up in Canada playing hockey at a very high level. He was destined for the NHL, but he ends up sustaining head trauma and concussions and injuries that would turn his world upside down. That eventually leads to Ryan using drugs and alcohol to deal with his trauma and his pain. He ends up getting involved in the drug trade from Canada to the U.S., And that eventually puts him in jail But you know what That eventually leads to his sobriety And his redemption That he um, has been living for the past I would say 12 years or so And he has really been doing some incredible stuff All over the world to inspire Um, Ryan's an incredible guy um, I enjoyed the conversation so much and he has some really cool stuff that he's working on that will be out in the next few months. So make sure to follow him on his Instagram, Ryan Phillips, eight, eight, eight for all those updates. Um, the, the past few shows I have introduced rebel rabbit as a new partner of a show partner of the show. And I couldn't be happier to have them on board. Rebel rabbit is a seltzer, but is, it is alcohol free. And it is infused with Delta-8 and Delta-9 THC, which is legal. And their mission is to take the pressure of having to drink alcohol when you're out or drink alcohol to get some get some sort of relief and replace that with a rebel rabbit seltzer, which will give you a similar feeling as you're being social and you're out and you're drinking. It'll take away that pressure but the harm reduction aspects of actually drinking a Rebel Rabbit Seltzer compared to any other alcohol drink or seltzer is incredible. You're gonna wake up feeling great and um, their mission is just really awesome and I'm glad to have them on board. Their retailer list is growing by the day. You can find, All their retailers on their website at drinkrebelrabbit.com. So you can make sure to go visit there, find where they're selling it near you, and to go pick up some Rebel Rabbit seltzer. If you want to, you can go buy their drinks from their website, drinkrebelrabbit.com. Use promo code LIFE20, and you'll get 20% off your order. So again, their website is drinkrebelrabbit.com. Make sure to use promo code LIFE20 for 20% off. And you're going to start drinking healthier, waking up more productive, and really living a healthier life. Another thing that makes you live a healthier life is sleep. And from the very beginning, Engineered Sleep has been on board with the podcast, and I could not be happier to still have them with me. Use promo code LIVE15 and you'll get 15% off your order at Engineered Sleep. They're the best mattresses in the game, they're the best customer service, and the best team behind a product in the game. So go to their website, engineersleep.com, use promo code LIVE15, you'll get 15% off your order. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Ryan Phillips. Ryan, good morning. You are in Vancouver, is that right?
1: I'm in Vancouver, BC, North Vancouver to be exact, right up in the mountains, yes great to hear from you and have this discussion
0: yeah long. man i'm excited and um something i wanted to touch on was uh some of your head trauma and you mentioned to me mm-hmm. that you had a hard time sleeping last night and a lot of that probably stems from the concussions you had growing up playing hockey what was your life like as a kid you know coming up through the hockey rinks and like really pushing to be a pro
1: Well, uh, when you get onto the topic of TBIs, which is a traumatic brain injury, um, I took my first real heavy hitter, so to say. I fell out of a tree at a friend's house when I was six. And I remember that one vividly because I I remember being loaded into the car after being knocked out. I fell out of the tree. I hit my head on a rock. And uh, at that time, my grandfather was in the hospital uh, having a leg operation. And I remember just, I remember the drive to the hospital feeling really sick to my stomach and just like, I didn't know what was going on with me. I just knew that something was terribly wrong. And up until the age of six, you know, I was always like really artistic and, uh, and creative. Like, you know, most kids are, Yeah. you know, I was, I was born with like a hockey stick in my hands for crying out loud, you know, like most Canadians, their dominating dream is to play in the NHL. And uh anyways, that night um, you know, I, I got taken to the hospital, my grandpa's there, and I was able to go downstairs and see him. And uh I just remember I was at the hospital for three days because the severity of that concussion at such wow. a young age. But you know, they didn't have all the neuroscience and you know, neuroplasticity and you know the cognitive awareness that they do nowadays. Um, so basically I was in there, you know, nursing a brain bruise at six and not really getting treated like how they do now with my, you know, electrodes, electricity frequencies and whatnot. And so that was the first one. I mean, I could put together a Rubik's cube, uh, un- uh untwine it and retwine it at six before that concussion. And then things started to get a little different, you know, a, a bit of ADD w- uh, kicked in. At school, I, you know, I was I wasn't able to retain uh, a, a lot of things like I like I was before. I was mm-hmm. a real fast learner, and uh, you know, I still did great, but it was just there was just something that was off, and that then became a very common theme. You know, as hockey is a really rough sport, uh, it, it, even in the in, in the mites in the young ranks, you're still running into each other pretty hard. So, you know, you, if you've had a concussion you don't always have to get your head hit. It can happen through a whiplash. It can Mm -hmm. happen in many different ways. And so I think before I I left home at the age of 16, I'd probably sustain, I don't know, maybe two, three, maybe five, four, five, who knows, but I, I, I definitely out of hockey, one good one. And then in hockey, I probably took a few bangs that, uh, you know, they used to call it getting your bell rung. So, yeah. I got my bell rung a few times, and then in junior, that's when I, you know, I took a very severe one on my draft year. I was rated quite high in the NHL draft, and um, I actually missed almost that whole year due to uh, a broken shoulder in three places, uh, dislocated it at the same time. But at the same time as that, I also took a concussion to the top of my head that bled down to the amygdala, which is, you know, the seat of the emotions and, you know, the fight or flight. And uh, that was never treated. So um, I I came back after, you know, missing almost five months, you know, due to the shoulder injury. And I just, at that point, I I could, I never saw the puck the same, Um, you know, I was playing purely through my senses out there, basically. My vision was distorted. Um, I wasn't able to, you know, uh, the puck would be in the right hand side of the, of the ice. And sometimes I would think it was on the left hand and I was literally just, you know, clawing my way it, you know, th- through junior into the professional ranks. You know, I, I was, you know, booked, I, I didn't make the NHL. I was close to making the NHL, um, but concussions, other injuries as well, um, you know, that was my, uh, that was just my path. And then that turned into some other things in life that uh, I'm sure we'll get into. And um, you know, I'm an open book and what, um, that we can talk about anything.
0: Yeah. So on your draft year, you were projected yeah. pretty highly and mm-hmm. this injury happens and they treat your shoulder and they didn't treat your head really at all. Like did they know no. at the time, did you know you had that concussion?
1: As I just I knew I, I was knocked out for a little over a minute so about a minute and a half I remember the game vividly because we, we'd set a new record for the league I was playing in there was over 15,000 fans there that night my parents were in, in, the, in, the, in the stands as well with my grandparents and I remember my dad always told me get up no matter what don't stay down and I remember coming to after slamming the boards going full speed And, you know, my, I felt my shoulder, it was in incredibly horrible pain Mm -hmm. and it, my shoulder dropped when I got up. And at the same time I was, I barely made, you know, I had two guys helping me on each arms. I was, you know, I was very dizzy. Um, and you know, not even a minute later, you know, I look back at my, my dad and I'm like, I'm F U C K E D. (laughs) Messed up something's going on here and um the coach kicked me in the butt and he goes you're up get out there and dang you can't I, 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 I took probably five strides and just i turned around and i was like i'm screwed and within 10 minutes i'm in the locker room they, they had to cut my jersey off got taken to the hospital and they treated the shoulder Uh, But they didn't treat the concussion. And, you know, that was, uh, it was just one of those things that, you know, back in those days, they just, the science wasn't there and, you know, the treatments weren't there and whatnot. And now they've gotten much better. Um, You know, there's so much awareness has come into the, into that spectrum. And, you know, there's a lot of different healing modalities that are out there to this Mm -hmm. day that, um, you know, in in today's modern, you know, uh, medical uh, world. So, uh, you know, I'm very blessed I have one of the best uh, neuro guys here in Canada that I've you know, been working with. And um, so I've seen a sig- significant change with uh, my ability to, um, you know, my, my intellectual faculties were never harmed. It was more or less um, a lot of, you know, some ADD, sure. depression, a lot of mood swings, misdiagnosed with bipolar um, but it also set the, the, it set the tone for doing a lot of good things in the mental health arena, mm-hmm. you know, um, being diagnosed with bipolar, uh, challenged me, me, you know, I challenged myself, okay, well I got bipolar. Um, I'm going to ride across, uh, five countries in 2019. So, yeah, we're going to um, get to that. <laughs> so we can talk about that, but, uh, you know, we got to stay on, on course here, hockey, was you know that was concussion number one and then you know you get a few close lines you know three four bang up against the boards such is life you know that's the game it's it's played hard and uh when you get in the way of uh of a of a big hit or a big shot sure. you know anything can happen it's it's uh it's very unpredictable it's an unpredictable game that's uh predictably rough When
0: when that so that injury happened right and it is your draft year and the scouts label you as injury prone so kind of of course not only the injury and the concussion um but the scouts you know it also makes you harder to you know harder to get drafted in a position that you won't but you do go on to continue to play and make yourself you know through some of the professional ranks when was the time that you were like all right i'm done with hockey like what was that ending point for you
1: well, I would say when that happened and, you know, the buzzword was, you know, Ryan's injury prone and, uh, you know, he's not going to go, high, he's not going to go in the draft. He, he's not going to get drafted at all. You know, certain things happened, you know, uh, off the ice, I was trying to fit in. So that's really when, you know, the booze uh, became an issue in my life. Um, I was self-medicating with painkillers and, uh, uh, you know, I, an overabundance of alcohol, just, you know, uh, it was, if, if I can't fit in, I'm, I'm not on the team. It didn't feel like, you yeah, know, true. I was just, I was, I was like a hang around that would show up in a suit and tie and taking notes on face-off draws and st- stats and whatnot. I, I, so I didn't feel like I was a part of the team at all. And, um, the only way I, I at that time really to fit in was at the parties where there mm-hmm. would be, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> Young, y- young, punks and uh, with a bit, with big with big egos, and you know that whole hockey culture is uh, you know it's pretty mainstream right now here in Canada. It's all over the radio and the news. Um, a bunch of officials in Hockey Canada actually uh, resigned from their jobs. Um, you know, very sadistic rituals and whatnot. I don't know if you saw the National Geographic episode.
0: No, um, oh, yeah, I saw, I was- yeah, I did.
1: So if you saw that you know you saw that it was urinated on uh you know stuck in the back of the bus and called every name in the book and uh you know made to do stupid things and you know kids can be cruel a lot of bullying that went on and you know your self-esteem gets affected really you know harshly at that age you know you know 16 17 18 is you know those are all ages that are you know you're, you're so impressionable And, you know, especially when you're like, say, you know, a mini celebrity in a small town or a big town or wherever you are, um, you know, there's expectations and and then you put so much pressure on yourself. And then when these injuries happen, like they did to me, um, you know, going to school, I felt, you know, I just felt completely out of place. You lose your identity. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I lost my identity, and I, instead of be, being Ryan, the awesome hockey player, now I was Ryan, the awesome party animal, you know, good time Philly, you know, my last name's Phillips, so I got the nickname Philly, uh, next <laughs> thing you know, it's good time Philly, and I'm bringing all the girls around, and uh, it was just go, 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 till you know, it was just uh, go hard or go home.
0: How did that progress with your partying, the drugs, the alcohol, really into when you started like sm- uh, the marijuana smuggling? train, yeah, smuggling. <laughs> well, it wasn't
1: really a hard transition. It was the same kind of lifestyle, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll is the is the culture, uh, you know, that that people don't see uh, when they're watching a hockey game.
0: Yeah, behind but the scenes, it's, uh, it's there.
1: You know, it's all uh, it's fast lane. You know, fast lane lifestyle. And when things didn't work out, um, you know, after you know, playing in the minors for, you know, close to five years and, and being injured, it was just nonstop injuries after the first concussion. It was one thing after another, but it was the really the concussions that really held me back the most. And obviously the drinking that went along with it. I didn't care. Just, it became the point where okay i didn't get drafted i'm playing in the minors i'm not in the nhl where i thought i was supposed to be my dream didn't work out and all of a sudden the marijuana game which is uh you know marijuana was very accepted in my province of british columbia where it's grown like mad still to this day but uh um i was uh, i had the connections down in the u.s and i was in my early 20 i had just turned 20 and um you know how did it had, start had the,
0: like what was the first time you're like all right i'm gonna get a couple ounces of weed or i'm gonna get a pound of weed and move it well to the i States, knew the demand the
1: okay so i knew the demand down there was huge because it was you know highly illegal and there's not a lot of people were going now it's hugely accepted and like legal in almost every state but maybe two uh if, uh if that just goes to show how much i know about marijuana these days <laughs> but uh you know, back in those days, um, you know, if you could get hydroponic weed down to the U S you would get huge dollar for it and you'd make money on the exchange as well. And I found that out, uh, when a friend of mine brought uh, a deodorant stick, uh, full of hydroponic weed, uh, <laughs> down to a party. And it was, we were partying with a bunch of football players and these guys are like, Oh, you can, can you get, you can get more of that? Like how much can you get? and i was like i don't know how much can you how much do you need and it just one pound turned into two turned into five turned into ten turned into 50 100 and you know the rest of the story is history you know it turned into a, you know multi multi-million dollar a month business you know our best year we did over a 100 million dollars in weed sales i had certified chartered accountants and all kinds of people uh you know uh, blackberries uh, blackberries and
0: what is this early 90s is this when it
1: mid 90s is when it started and you know it really i went to prison in year 2000 for uh, uh i was it was conspiracy to import 103 pounds of high-grade pot over the border and uh it was it was you know uh kind of crappy going to prison but it was like going to you know uh college for criminals uh i, I hung out with uh with, with the, the good, the, the smart ones, so to speak, the smart criminals. And, you know, within, uh, I don't know, a month and a half after I got out, maybe a month and a half, three months, not even, you know, I was rolling in the dough again and, uh, I didn't become a good boy right away. Let's just say that. What was uh, your
0: lifestyle like from say 95 to 2000? Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Uh, partying like a rock star but wasn't a rock star and if there was a rock star there i had to outdo that rock star with my crew and that's just the way it was it was you know uh 10 15 20 30 40 50 thousand dollar nights out with you know dom and crystal and tables and you know it's where were you uh, living at this point ah i I had many places i had a penthouse i had a house i had uh uh, (laughs) In a part, I mean, I was I was all over the map. I was traveling all over the map. I was I was an absolute gong show. But at the same time, I was young and resilient, and was able to really hold my head together and run a business. At, at the, you know, even though it was illegal, you still had to be very tactile at the same time. And uh, especially when you're dealing with that kind of money, and uh, you know who's kidding who? You're dealing with the mafia. Yeah. You know, the mafia here and the mafia down there, and. It didn't take me long to time to climb to the top of the food food chain.
0: Was there a time yeah. when you when this was going on, did you have a thought like I can't do this forever or at the time were you just kind of living in the moment just like rocking and rolling?
1: Well, that's a good question actually. At the time my my plan was to do it for 1 year. Okay. I was like <laughs> I'm going to do this for 1 year, I'm going to make this much money and I you know, I had a number in my head and then I'll go back and I'll try to play hockey again and you know uh money overrode that thought process and once the momentum got going there was no slowing it down it was like a machine it was a license to print money you know shoe boxes turned into uh little suitcases little suitcases turned into massive duff- duffel bags and big goal- hockey goalie bags you know with millions of dollars in it yeah and Getting my old man to bury money in the backyard and you know just stupid, you know, smart, stupid. And, you know, my, the, the hardest problem for me back in those days was finding a place to put the money. There, there was that much money coming back from, from the U S back into Canada, you know, training green for green. Yeah. And, and back it was, then it was mainly uh,
0: cash, right? Like there wasn't,
1: it was all cash. Yeah. Yeah. It was all cash. So, uh, had to buy a lot of safes. I had to, I had to pay guys to live in homes and sit on money. So I pay for the rent and, uh, you know, I'd fill them in on packs and packs and loads of, you know, shipments we call them, uh, a shipment was a pack that went down South, you know, we call them sending programs. So I had a few sending programs and the, the most profitable ones were the ones in New York. They paid top dollar, you know, uh, this is back in, you know, uh, mid 2000s, 2006, 2007, around there. Um, that's, that was when I was getting out of it. And, you know, it basically it hit its peak and there was a lot of threats on my life, but we were getting, you know, up to $6,500 a pound U S dollars. And I was picking them up here in Canada wholesale for about 22, 2300. $2, and then by the time it got down there, we'd make a couple of thousand bucks profit in New York. Yeah. You know, you send down a thousand pounds, that's uh, $2 million.
0: What, um, what was, what got you caught the first time? So you were trying to smuggle like 103 pounds. Like what, did you just run into an agent or did you, somebody tip them off? What was, what was the...
1: Well, what happened was uh, we had a driver um, on the other side that uh, the rule is you never go to the airport to rent a vehicle. And we found out that he'd been taking shortcuts and he actually went to the airport uh, six times in a row um, he actually, uh, the same guy, he ripped me off. I, w- I wasn't technically supposed to be on the mountain that day, um, but I was trying to save face with my partner uh, as uh, there was an inside job uh, ripoff that I found out after I got out of prison uh, that happened by the driver actually was the perpetrator. Dang. And he's also a guy that I knew my whole life and I played hockey with and he ripped off uh, about two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of uh, worth worth of weed, and um, you know I was I had to redeem myself uh, with my partner. I said I'll I'll make sure this gets done, and I'll, I'll take take control of everything. And what happened was he was followed, and on the other side of the border, next thing you know, there's uh, we're, we're going down the Mount Baker Highway after you know the bushwhack was about seven hours. It was pouring rain. Dang. next thing you know 10 minutes down the mountain ha- ba- Baker highway there's uh, helicopters uh, two helicopters and a bunch of suburbans and this pink neon behind us flashing lights and uh, you know this is the DEA pull over Da-da-da-da-da. I'm like we're screwed and my first thought was you know I-, I had no idea of the ramifications of what would go go down I didn't know how how long you were looking at you know to go into prison but um, I wanted to run, just jump out of the car and run for the run for the wilderness. But, uh, you know, um, prison taught me a lot of things in life that uh, I needed to learn. Uh, a lot of self-introspection. Uh, How long were you there? I, cl- I was there for close to two years without seeing the light of day in a maximum federal penitentiary. And in there, I, 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 I got a clear head. I had a clear mind, you know, I, I might've been trapped in an eight by 12 and and not being able to go outside, but there was a common area where, you know, I, I got along with everybody. I didn't have any issues with the Mexicans, the Crips, the Bloods, the white power, you name it. I got along with everybody. It was, I was I, I, I myself <laughs> too, and, and, and met a lot of connections. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't have, while I was in there, if, I was like, okay, I'm gonna get out, and I'm I'm gonna be an actor. You know, I was I, I, when I was younger, I got asked to be, do acting. I'm like, hockey's over now. I'm gonna be an actor, and and then you know, temptation makes a fool out of all of us. Yeah, money at, too. sometimes, right? at many times, and uh, but you know, I, I I was clean in there. You know, off the booze for 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 the first time in a long time. So in one way, I think prison saved my life. You know, I was going down, you know, a pretty dark path with uh, with a lot of hard, hard drugs and alcohol and prison. Actually, I would say at that point in my life saved my life because if I was going hard like I was, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Yeah. And, um, I got out and the same people were, uh, kicking around and now Ryan's back and first night out, uh, I'm like, well, you know, I got this guy, we can do this and we got this guy, I can do that you know, um, then actor went, uh, sour real quick. And, uh, I just acted the other identity again and just took on a new form. And, uh, I was really angry at the U S government. And I was like, I'm going to get you guys back and send down more and more and as much as I can. And it was just, how long uh, did that run last? And that, that run lasted for five, six years maybe. And, you know, in the end, it got to the point where it was just so destructive. And, um, you know, I, I, there was a few times after that, that there was tried times, and it, it, it never set well. It was, it, was, it was good till it got bad. And when it got, you know, lie detector tests, extortions, and murders, and all that kind of stuff, the drinking, the drugging, the overdoses, mm-hmm. and just the stuff that I saw, you know, the PTSD that I have from that business to this day, you know, the trauma, uh, that the, the demons that I have to tackle, uh, I, I don't want to be playing a victim by any means because I set myself up in this whole sure. scheme. Uh, you know, like I, I was an international tr- drug smuggler, you know, like, and, you know, to get the pardon later in my life, um, for turning over, you know, a new leaf, um, I still haven't always been perfect. You know, I've made mistakes along the way. I'm human. Um, But, you know, when I decided to get out, it wasn't easy. Um, uh, It was basically, you know, my crew was like, they were very hardcore. And it was, you know, you're with us now. But if we find out that you do anything, we will kill you. And I basically started traveling the world and, you know, I, I, I wanted a travel show. That's, <laughs> you know, my, I was like, you know, I really got, I was addicted to travel and I loved, uh, culture and meeting people. I was always, I was never violent. I've never shot a gun before in my life. And, uh, you know, like I, I, I basically, I was doing it to numb the fact that I did I, I wasn't playing in the NHL. I was like, well, I, I'm making NHL money. Probably, probably a lot more. Mm-hmm. and i've got a team around me which is just kind of like hockey so like you asked me like how hard like was it weird kind of going from that one life to the next life they were very parallel and you know like it's even because i was so high up in the food chain it was it wasn't like scumbag drug dealing i was you know mixing with like the rich and the famous mm-hmm. and you know i had businesses at the same time too you know i was doing a lot of property development and whatnot i had zero zilch dollars of that life in my life now because i wouldn't be able to do what i'm doing now um with with any faith or confidence and integrity that's for sure if i was still involved in 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 any illegal activity
0: what led you to get out like was it a family member was it a friend was it yourself like how did you make that switch internally to say all right i'm out of here
1: there was a few things that happened, um, being surrounded by 10 guys that, uh, you know, were extorting me for a lot of money and they were all packing guns and, uh, said, I owed them a certain amount of money or else they were going to kill me. Um, another time, I mean, there was a few times that I, I, I quit for substantial amounts of time and let other people run it. Um, but the definitive time when it was like done for good, like, this is like, not for me was, um, the threats on my life, you know, you're, you're dead if you keep doing this and, and, and then watching other people, you know, get murdered and whatnot and you're, you know, you're, you see the paper and, you know, acquaintances of yours are, you know, passed on. You're seeing them on the front page of the paper and, you know, your mom or your, and your dad are telling you isn't that so-and-so that was at our house
0: Dang, yeah. kind of
1: thing. And I'm like, yeah. How was and your,
0: how was your sobriety at this time? Like when you say you get out, are you still yeah. using, drinking um, drugs? I did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I got out and I kept using till I was 27. And I, I've been in recovery now for 17 years. I relapsed about four times in that 17 years. And I've now, I'm now six and a half years sober. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've gone through the gauntlet of addiction on all levels, um, gambling, sex, drugs, <laughs> partying, uh, you name it. Um, you know, I, I I've, been, I, I've I've been through a lot, so it gives me the right where I can actually talk about it, but it's, it's not in a cocky way. It's in a way where, there's a lot of healing and talking about it. And then that gives me the ability to help others mm-hmm. and try to heal their own wounds be- because our past doesn't define us. You know, we define who we are in the present moment. And if I, I think that's the whole thing, even with, with that, anything in the last three years with this COVID thing that's gone, gone on is that, you know, whatever's gone on is with this, with a lot of isolation and whatnot and everything is yes, it's disconnected a lot of people, but it's also connected a lot of people through the medium of say, social media. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I was off social media for years. I I went back on social media um, when I went across Canada on my bike for mental health awareness and um, started connecting with, you know, more just like-minded people. I mean, I don't accept a lot, a lot of, uh, I see a lot of people follow me on Instagram. I delete a lot of the, Uh, you know, people that I'm not like-minded with, and Mm -hmm. that's, you know, I'm not, I don't care about followers and stuff like that. I mean, I, it's, it's just one of those things. I I mean, I'm guilty. Like all of us, sometimes, you know, you're scrolling down to see what's interesting and whatnot, but I got to catch myself because, you know, when you put yourself onto the whole mental health spectrum, I really believe that, you know, one of the issues these days is that we're being overstimulated by technology and you know einstein he said it the best you know once uh technology begins to override humanity we're going to be and end up with a bunch of idiots and i'm not calling anybody an idiot out there but when there's overstimulation add kicks in with society and uh that can really drive us uh a little insane sometimes you're right
0: about that the team and the people at engineered sleep are offering you 15 percent off if you use promo code live 15 to get a new mattress and i cannot tell you enough how much trust i have in the team at engineered sleep and the product they will provide to you if you have any questions about your current mattress if you're getting bad sleep and you think it might be your mattress it's time to upgrade your mattress and the team at engineered sleep is here to do that for you use promo code live 15 you'll get 10 percent off your order but most importantly you're going to be working with an amazing company you're going to have an amazing product and you're going to start sleeping better at night and you'll start performing better on a daily basis. So go to engineeredsleep.com, use promo code LIVE15, get 15% off your order and start sleeping better and performing better on a daily basis. Was it uh, like 2011, 2012 when you kind of made the switch to use your experience to like speak about it or open up yeah. or like raise awareness for for certain topics?
1: Uh you know, I was over in Southeast Asia and we were filming uh, a documentary on happiness, and I was intertwining my life with you know different principles, you know d- purpose, uh, you know spirituality. Um, it was just basically I was I was I was allowing the universe to write its own script, and I always found great happiness in the land of smiles, which is Thailand. And yeah. you know, so I was in an orphanage over in Thailand uh, with a friend of mine who lost both his parents in the tsunami uh, that happened in Cal Luck back in 2004. And I wanted to give back to these kids, you know, soccer balls and just like love, man. I wanted to give them love. And I, I think it took a lot of, uh, adversity and, um, you know, I don't want to paint the picture that like, it was all bad in that business because I'd be lying. I had the time of my life, but I had the worst time of my life as well. Sure. And it, but it also gave me the opportunity because I had the money to travel all over the world and do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, like a spoiled brat. And what happened was with all these threats and whatnot that humbled me. And, um, you know, I, all I wanted to do was give back to the people, love and kindness and compassion, you know, and I'll try to help eliminate the, the envy, the hate, the cynicism, everything that's going on nowadays. You know, I was really thinking about that back in 2010, 2011, when I was filming this documentary over there, and uh, it just so happened I was skipping rope in uh, this little uh, country called Laos, a beautiful country, and it was about 6:30 in the morning. I'm skipping rope, and I get a phone call from this uh, girlfriend of mine in Los Angeles. Her name is Serinda Swan, and she's like, "We're doing this bike ride across Cambodia." to help with the eradication of human trafficking and child sex slavery. Would you be interested? She goes, I see you're filming a, a film on happiness. We can show the positive aspects of giving back to these kids. And I knew nothing about human trafficking and child sex slavery. I didn't know a goddamn thing. And, but I was like, you know what? If this is for the kids that are suffering in any way and we can turn this into a positive spin, Literally spin on those wheels uh, with 21 riders. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm all in. So, three weeks later, uh, I find myself riding across Cambodia, uh, visited about five or six different um, shelters and whatnot, met a a CNN hero, Somali mom, um, who ran uh, an organization called the Somali Mam Foundation back then. And uh, it just so happened that the Department of Homeland Security, and Border Protection found out that Canada's uh, big old weed smuggler there was doing good in the world. And the day after traversing over the country of Cambodia and helping with these kids and not only educating myself, but really starting to educate others through absorbing a lot of, uh, you know, knowledge on this topic and how uh, how it's, it's such a global epidemic, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, millions and millions of, 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 people are, are trafficked a year and not just kids. It happens all over the world. And, uh, I got a pardon, uh, very next day I, it was, uh, I actually, I wrote it down on a card and, uh, you know, you throw this into the spiritual, you know, whatever you put out there comes back. And, um, you know, I wrote down, I said, I am so happy and grateful now that I'm allowed back in the United States for business and for pleasure. Uh, And, uh, you know, I read it over and over and over and over and over again. And and on the back of the card, it said, love, faith, giving back, and all these like positive affirmations. And I must have read that card over and over and over again, God, for two years. But I put a definite date on there as well. And I think it was like two days, uh, two days uh, that, you know, that I was off and um you know the impossible became possible i was supposed to never be allowed back in the states again and you know i just got back from new york i'm allowed down there as a free man and uh, you know for business and for pleasure and everything happened and manifested the way uh, the broadcasting and receiving station for the vibration that's thought uh, is uh, supposed to <laughs> wow that's really cool did you yeah.
0: did you learn how that pardon happened like who caught wind of what you were doing and like how does that even come into place
1: it just, well, the, the organization was, uh, you know, was supported by the Clinton uh, uh, the Clinton administration at the time. Barbara Walters was involved with it, Queen okay. Latifah, Ben Affleck, uh, a lot of different names and whatnot. So somebody said something and all of a sudden the universe uh, responded to the nature of my desire.
0: Dang. And that's crazy. I got a
1: daughter down there and uh, I was able to finish the film off with uh, a knock on the door and surprise her she hadn't seen me in the states well i hadn't i hadn't been to the united states in over 10 years and now all of a sudden i'm on u.s soil and uh yeah dreams do come true you just have to have faith and believe
0: <laughs> was there a um so you said you've been sober now for six and a half years is that right yes so that was i guess 2015 16
1: uh would have been yeah 15 16 17 18 19 20, 20, 20, 20. no no god it would have been uh, 2017
0: 17
1: yeah so 20 yeah july 8th
0: oh so very- my,
1: yeah my birthday so uh, i almost six and a half years but what's yeah july august september october so six years and four months
0: <laughs> i uh my, but, I got hey sober. i'm all about
1: uh quality not uh not 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 quantity it's but, you know what I, I i've had days where it, it, in my first year where i felt like a million bucks and i've had sure. days in my fourth and third and sixth that are you know anxiety and depression i still go through the gamut of mental health stuff we all have issues and uh you know, I don't sleep a lot because of my concussions. That's, that's a mental health issue. It definitely is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you a know, a lot of mental health can
0: be traced back to like traumatic brain injuries, especially with. Oh, well
1: you, you, th- you got the traumatic brain injury, then you got PTSD complex PTSD thrown onto a traumatic brain injury is literally like gaslighting. And it's, you know, that is very, very difficult. But as uh, uh, for me, it, that is is the biggest challenge for me is is my emotional stability is is you know uh, uh, is the fight or flight freeze response and you know i'm an introverted extrovert i can speak in front of ten thousand twenty thousand 20,000 how many people i can do it no problem i can be in on, on national geographic no problem i can ride my bike across canada and who knows how many people know that you're doing it no problem and yet i i'm a killer isolator as well. (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, this is just just the way this animal's built, I guess. What what Um, do you
0: do now on a daily basis to look after your mental health?
1: Well, look, I, I've learned that breathing is a big thing. So I, you know, if I'm having an anxiety attack or a little Mm -hmm. bit of a panic attack, which is a very common theme these days with so many people, not just men, Although uh, right now, the suicide rate is 85% of the suicides these days are male, which is uh, brutal. And, and you know, it's uh, anyone that takes their life. I, I mean, I feel for their family. They're gone. Um, but it's the families that are affected that I feel so deeply for. Yeah. Um, and I experienced a lot of that when I was going across Canada, you know, meeting families that lost kids and whatnot. And absorbing a lot of that energy as well um you know happened being very so you know empathetic you know to those situations um was really really impacting um impactful <laughs> impacting impactful at the same time whatever you want to however you want to call it but um it was one of the most beautiful journeys i've ever been on in my life i mean cambodia was one thing it was, you know which is uh, you know, I'll never forget that ride. It was just, uh, it was magical, but going across my own country was, you know, the, the, the stamina that was needed and I'm not a bicycle, I'm not even a pro bicycle rider. I mean, I just, <laughs> I played hockey and I know that action through, uh, you know, aw- awareness through action is, is where it's at. You know, when, when, when people can see that someone who's been through a lot can do something to make a change for a positive, in, for 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 a cause that really really you know resides deeply within that person's soul, um, other people can take notice of that, like a ripple effect, really kind of expand that outwards into their consciousness.
0: Mm-hmm. What was your ride? Was it twenty nineteen?
1: Twenty nineteen, yeah. Tell uh, me just. I well, I just finished doing four countries over in Southeast Asia. And I thought just the next common thing to do is uh, to ride across your own country now. So, uh, you know, Southeast Asia was a primer and uh, I came home and for two weeks, uh, you know, I grabbed a couple sponsors, got a a bike uh, that was customized for me. um, And I got a cameraman and we just run and gunned it. And I was I did it in two months. What was it for? for mental health, mental health awareness. And, you know, I, I I was, I I guess it was a lot of it is I I did the ride for myself with the full intention to inspire others because I was diagnosed with bipolar and uh, there was just, there was something inside me that, that told me that I didn't have bipolar and I think we all have a little bit of bipolar in us. You know, some, uh, (laughs) some of us can be be a little bit more manic than others sometimes whatnot. I can get really excited, but I can also be a real Debbie Downer. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, the definiteness of every pedal was so purposeful because there was so much passion put into that project. And it was, it, it, it really was the people along the way that made it so special, you know, um, and made it so worthwhile that, you know, yes, it was physically and mentally taxing. Um, but at the end of the day, to to gain the knowledge that i did um and the relationships that i've made and then you know not even a week after crossing canada you know i I get flown out to london to tell my story to national geographic that was kind of a trip right so um and it just kind of seems to keep going like that in my life I, i don't really have a lot of time to to rest so it's a good thing that i don't sleep much. (laughs)
0: i guess if you want to look at it that way but like you said Mm -hmm. earlier man like i feel like if you do the right things if you have the right intentions like opportunities will come your way and telling stories are so incredibly powerful so like when every time you tell your story every time somebody hears your story you're inspiring and even if it's that one person that hears your story how you might have overcome your mental health your your brain trauma you know getting out of jail even like rerouting your life, like meeting back up with your daughter, like all these experiences in your life are, are learning experiences for people and really can inspire people wherever they're listening from, whether it be addiction too. I mean, addiction is huge. Is there, yeah, you know, is there, you've, you've talked a lot recently about like going back and maybe dealing with your trauma or like figuring Mm -hmm. out your trauma. What has that process been like for you?
1: Well, God, we all got a past. We all have a shadow self. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, a lot of the trauma stems from, you know, ho- the hockey culture was was very uh, very difficult when I was playing, you know, uh, the initiations. And so a lot of that is a lot of those past traumas, uh, you know, being in the organized crime business and whatnot and stuff, what, I, what I've talked about have come up and really arisen to the surface. And, and you know, sp- especially over the pandemic where, you know, a lot of us, um, y- you know, there's the social distancing and the isolation and whatnot that went down. And so a lot comes up and, you know, uh, but uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that things come up at a certain time in your life for a reason for you to look at. And if you don't look at it, and if you don't resolve it, then you know the ramifications on your mental health is going to be even worse. So you know, if, if you look at a PTSD brain, it's a lot like a dementia brain. It, you know, it it's, it it can it, it can freeze up, and you know you're it basically you know when you're living uh, reliving a traumatic event, it's like you're re- you're living it in the mm-hmm. present moment as if it happened you know way back. It's happening in the present moment, or, or and there's different triggers, obviously, that triggers those things. And for me, it's, you know, I, I live in Vancouver, and um, you know, if I run into people from that past that uh, might still be involved, which I I don't judge. People are allowed to do whatever they want, and um, but I'm not going to say that I, that I don't. Um, I'm not scared a little bit still. Like, you know, even though it's been a long time uh, mm-hmm. since I've been out of it, it's uh, it's still it's still those wounds are are really fresh because, you know, I, I I affected a lot of people too, you know, even though I didn't pull the trigger, I still, you know, my behavioral patterns with addiction and, you know, the whole money game and what I was doing illegally, it it really put a toll on my family. And, um, you know, there's a lot of redemption that uh, definitely needs to, uh, you know, play into the, into that spectrum. And so I work on that on a daily basis. And, you know, I try to keep my relationship with my daughter, who's basically my my best friend. Yeah, she's she, she's amazing. You know, she's been sober for two years now uh, off methamphetamine. She was on the street there for a while. She's a young mother. And so I'm a grandpa, young grandpa,
0: Congrats. You
1: know, young grandpa <laughs> with a little bit of experience. And, um, you know, she's going to be coming to visit up here in February. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things. It's just, uh, you know, it's, you gotta keep on keeping on. Is it and, something uh, you,
0: um, like speak with a therapist about or go, you know, I how it, yeah.
1: Yeah. I see it. Uh, I do psychotherapy and, you know, I think really, you know, the only way to get through some of these traumatic experiences is through a somatic experience and, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, a lot of grounding and a lot of really practicing the art of letting go. And, you know, uh, it, it's funny when people say, oh, just get over it. You know, just get, you can't just get over some things that, that happened that were so, that can, uh, I mean, everything is all about the nervous system. You know, so it's, if it's affecting your nervous system, which in my mind were holographic images projecting themselves through a human nervous system, becoming self-aware. So we got our higher self, which is basically like our higher power. And then we got this instrument, which is the body, the physical apparatus through which higher powers are projecting themselves through. So unindated, right? So when we get onto the whole subject of say manifestation, Mm -hmm. literally thoughts become things because we're channeling energy, non-physical energy through the power of thought into spiritual vibration, which is creating the thing that we want. In form or the circumstance that we desire in reality.
0: Dang. And uh, one thing that you have been probably thinking about and manifesting is the True Redemption (laughs) docuseries thing that (laughs) you've been working on. Talk to me about that. I know you've been doing a lot of filming for it. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know when it's coming out, but I'm pumped for it to come out. (laughs) But what. yeah what was the story behind that and like how did you put that into motion into to plan and, and when do you see it coming out
1: um well i was gonna i got offered uh to do this documentary going across canada again and i was like do i really want to go across the second biggest country in the world again <laughs> on two wheels in two months and oh, uh, I was just like, I was at a crossroads for making that decision I was like maybe three months I could do it. And, and then at the last second, um, that turned into, no, let's do it. This is, there's more to this. Let's intertwine your life with other people's, you know, um, uh, experiences and have it make sense in the mental health realm, in the life realm, and whatnot in redeeming ourselves realm however you look at redemption what like what does redemption mean to you Mm -hmm. so i mean if you look it up in the dictionary it's uh, being forgiven of sin so um uh, you know i look at it as you know letting go of my past and really you know being able to continue to just try to be a good person help others and and really expand as much love in my heart outwards and just radiate that with, with, with light. And uh, you know, we st- we've started filming on uh, we've, we've done three episodes on the Canadian side, uh, a couple episodes on the U S side. So we got a few more to go and um, you know, true redemption will be coming out uh, on many different platforms. I would say uh, pretty, uh, pretty close to after the new year
0: very yeah. cool and is it you speaking with like people in your past relationships you've had yeah or could it be new people <laughs> with is... stories
1: mm. yeah there's there's some wonderful people involved you know guys like theron flurry that played uh for the calgary flames and a few other different teams stanley cup champion uh brent Sopol, another good friend of mine uh dan carity who was on your podcast wonderful yeah. guy a um, bunch of guys to, used to play for the New York Rangers, uh, Tom Laidlaw, Barry Beck and Ron Duguay. Great guys, you know, uh, Elvis Stoiko, who's uh, uh, he was a world champion figure skater. He's one of my wonderful friends and um, you know, I'm just very grateful to have the opportunity to do this. Yeah, it's and cool. it's just, it's, it's really cool because we all have so many commonalities within each other's lives. So I'm able to tell a little bit more of my story that National Geographic missed. You know, there's so much more to my story than what National Geographic put on there. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they asked they, they they were all about entertainment. True Redemption's all about keeping it real. True Redemption's all about purpose. True Redemption's all about passion. True Redemption is 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 the plan that we need to create a new Earth paradigm for the planet so we can get along in harmony with each other. So, Man. um.
0: That you know, with reason? that being
1: said, you know it's all about inspiration, and inspiration isn't a word; it's a feeling. You know, it's what we can do to ignite. You know that that soul in, in, inside people's uh, physical apparatus, <laughs> as I said. So, yeah. um,
0: you've uh, been super gracious with your time, but I got two more questions, and sure, yeah, so I'm also right. in recovery. I got in recovery in 2017 as well, um, with your recovery. What's your, what do you, how do you go about it? Like, you know, people are in the big big book, people are more spiritual. You know, what's your, you know, road to staying, I guess, in recovery or out of addiction?
1: You know, um, I used to be a meeting junkie for a long, long time, especially early in recovery. And um, I would say about five and a half, six years ago, I was living in Thailand for almost a year and I was doing like three meetings a day. I had a Nazi of a sponsor that was like, <laughs> you know, I was chairing. And I, I mean, I think I memorized the big book and I, I do, I, I don't knock going to meetings every day, but I've, I've, I've definitely, you know, pulled back on, I don't go to as many meetings anymore. Um, I'm always here to be as service as much as I can. I think I'm doing a lot of that through, through the show. Um, you know, I just have, I, I, I know I shouldn't say I don't have the time, but, Um, I like to rest once in a while. And uh, (laughs) a lot of the meetings, I I just, you know, my recovery is contingent on, on my spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, just living my life in truth, and just doing the best I can, having a healthy diet, exercise,
0: I was about to say, what kind of exercise do you do? (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, lots of hiking cause I live in the mountains and, um, I do a lot of weights as well, but not super heavy. Like I used to, I don't need to get all jacked up. So, um, plus, uh, uh, my body isn't, uh, the one, uh, the 25 year old that used to be able to just like clang and bang and, you know, get jacked
0: because <laughs> so, you're a big <laughs> boy too.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I lift lightweights and I, I, I get big. I don't know. It's, my, my genetics are kind of crazy. My dad was a national high jump champion. He has crazy genetics. So um, his mind is a little slower than mine, thank God. He's, he doesn't. Uh, my, my mind's usually like two or three steps ahead, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's sometimes a, a bit of a detriment. It's, it's, my, it's, it's something I have to work on a little bit slowing my mind down <laughs> that is hard yeah. to
0: do sometimes
1: well but, I, you know, when i get excited though i like to talk and this is a fun talk it's like you know it's you know that's the thing about podcasts a lot of people get nervous to go on podcasts i just yeah. think it's a great time to have a chat
0: me too it's amazing yeah. and you get
1: to chat with hey, has people anyone ever for- t- told you that you look like jeremy Roenick?
0: No, but I'll take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they call them Styles, so you got some style, dude.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much, man. Hey, hockey—they kicked off last night, right? They did. I know the
1: Rangers won last night. I don't know, I'm not too sure what the score was, and then I know the King. I think the Kings played as well, but I don't know. Off to check NHL.com after we get off this uh, off the pod.
0: Yeah. Do you still follow it a lot? You know what? I
1: I, I I, I check out the, the scores. I watch the highlights a little bit, but at the end of the day, I, I'm not a big hockey fan anymore. I, I miss the days when I was a kid, you know, out there with my dad and, you know, when it wasn't taken so serious, you know, the minute you became a commodity, when that number on the back of your Jersey was a dollar sign was, um, it takes it away. It just took away the, the, the real fun of it. Um, but the team aspect of it is something that I'll always cherish and the relationships I made along the way, you know, there's, you know, some of those relationships are, you know, I love those guys like brothers, you know, sure. if, even if I haven't seen, you know, someone I've played with from back in the day for 10, 20 years or whatever, you know, we, we could catch up on the phone and it be like, I, I just saw him or heard, you
0: know, yeah,
1: yesterday. I mean, so I'm with you. That- I,
0: I grew up playing a ton of soccer and, uh, my best friend still to this day, I'm 34. A lot of those guys, we, we grew up playing soccer when we were like elementary school, middle school, high school, and they're still my boys to this day. They're my brothers. I don't have a biological yeah. brother, but they are well, my brothers. So <laughs> I, I think
1: that's why I have such a tough time with isolation and think it's like a bad thing is because I'm, you know, growing up, always being on a team, you're always around like a bunch of guys and it's fun being around a bunch of like like-minded guys. And just being part of a team, and so like when I'm by myself, I'm like always thinking like, like I'm okay by myself, but like I always it, being around a bunch of guys, like you know the boys, yeah. it's you know those are just uh, you know you're joking around, you're like it's like you're a kid, you know and I I love that. So it's um, I, I think that's the part I miss the most about hockey is mm-hmm. actually is is being in the dressing room jabbing at each other a little bit, just that camaraderie of, you know, being just being part of, yep. and, you know, like, look, I touched on some, maybe so kind of what came off negative parts of, of my life in hockey, but there was a lot of positive in there True. too. You know, um, you had to grow up real quick, you know, leaving home at 16 is no uh, easy task for anybody. And, you know, going into a new home, a new school and adapting to, to a new life in a new city is, is, is not easy for, for anybody. And that's something that's, uh, was uh you know that that was that
0: was tough but you know maybe who I am today. I think what you hit on there is something almost all athletes go through, male or female, when they get out of their team sport, I mean it's so hard to replace that feeling of like camaraderie and friendship and like teammates and and all that sort of stuff. I mean you, you can feel lost when you get out of it. Is there when you, you know, are in a talk or you're talking with a group, is there a message or theme usually that you end with about like living your life or connecting with people? Like what, what do you like to end that with?
1: Um I think at the end of the day, if if there's any message that I have for the world is we need to let love and kindness and compassion lead the way. And this is coming from a an old hockey player, international drug smuggler, guy that probably 25, 20 years, whatever, would not be saying something like this. But the world is in its in the state of a, of a reform and a definite reset. And, you know, we have to look at the positives that, of what's gone down here in the last few years, especially on the mental health spectrum, that <clears throat> we need to come together more. And, you know, nothing can ever be accomplished great by yourself. You need, you need other people in your life. So, you know, find the people, attract the people and put it out there that, you know, that you resonate with and try to build a life with harmony and flow and goodness. And I think that that'll fill you up with, you know, so much goodness inside that, you know, it, it, it makes life a lot more smooth and worth living. And it, and it just it gives you that sense of peace, you know, at the end of the day when you're looking at the sunset or even if it's raining. You know, there's always uh, yeah. blue sky
0: behind the clouds. I love it. Ryan, man, I just want to thank you for coming on. Like you said, like conversations like this make... I mean, it's not just a podcast, like it's an amazing conversation and telling people stories is, is kind of the purpose and mission behind this podcast. So I just want to thank you for coming on. I can't wait for true redemption to come out and just like continue to see what you're doing, man. You're changing lives.
1: Well, I really appreciate that one life at a time, I say, and, <laughs> uh, you can never do it alone. Um, you know, Cielo, uh, English, she's uh, my partner on this and, uh, You know she's done so much work with uh you know putting a lot of this together and you know i'm just one guy that's uh you know i'm doing the best i can and uh you know there's a there's a there's a lot of uh a lot of true redemption stories out there so we'll see how long this goes for and uh you know right now we're redeeming ourselves just by talking you're right so um you know this podcast could be a redemption podcast and i mean (laughs) it's uh it's uh, It's been a lot of fun. I'm glad I, I was able to come on here and uh, just hopefully give a message of hope.
0: Yes, sir. You definitely have. And I would love to have you back on someday, maybe when True Redemption Anytime. comes out. And we'll talk about, talk about the people you had on. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm in. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.